Welcome to I Communicate on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman. All right, good morning. Welcome to another edition of I Communicate. I'm your host, Mark Altman, and uh, founder and uh, president of Mindset Go. And uh, I had a big epiphany driving here. I was telling Ted this morning, and by the way, how the heck are you, Ted? It's a beautiful day to be alive. All that free moisture hours are out there. We saw sunshine yesterday. I almost passed out. Yes. It's enough to make you pass out. It is. It is. But we're going to have just a little bit of snow. It's just going to pile up over, you know, more than 24 hours. So no panic. Indeed. Indeed. So I like how you said little bit of snow. You know, we're going to talk about word choice today. So that word little made me feel a little bit better as opposed to this big snowstorm, right? It is important how you choose your words. Indeed. So so I was having this epiphany on the way to work this morning, or on the way to the radio show this morning, I should say, and I was thinking about people are always asking me, Mark, you know, you tell people you help them become more confident and effective communicators. Well, how, what do you mean and how do you do that? And it finally occurred to me that we really blend ingredients, right? We blend the ingredients of emotional intelligence, which are self-awareness, self-control, motivation, and empathy. And we blend the four key aspects of communication, which I'm coining word choice, tone, body language, and listening. And we put them together so you can improve and develop your interpersonal skills, strengthen relationships, and really use these ingredients in the everyday multiple types of conversations you have to elicit better outcomes and results ultimately. And it was interesting. I had an interaction the other day, and this is what got me thinking about word choice today. I had an interaction where I was having an email exchange with a casual uh, acquaintance. I mean, it was a woman, it was actually two women that I'm friendly with where I wouldn't call us like close friends, but we're friendly, right? And so I sent the email and I addressed the greeting I used in the email was, hi, ladies. And the response I got was a criticism of that I used, hi, ladies. And the woman I emailed said, you know, I find this a little demeaning and, you know, I I don't think that's the best way you could greet people. And I would appreciate if you didn't do it from now on and so on and so forth. So I think a lot of people, if they had received that response, would have said, oh, here's the PC police again. You know, you you can't say anything anymore and would have gotten frustrated and upset. But I didn't take it that way. She asked me in the email, she said, you know, when you send an email to guys that you're casually acquainted with, do you typically say, hi, guys? And I said, I actually do. Like, I I mean, that, that is how I often address. And instead of getting upset, I got curious. And I sent an email back and I said, thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it. And could you tell me why you find high ladies demeaning? And I didn't say it in a condescending way at all. I just said, I'm really curious to say it. And she responded and she told me, and it was a reasonable enough explanation. But when we use words, we get in autopilot a lot, right? We, we use words that um, we're comfortable with, that are consistent, that seem okay for us, because that's how we've always done it. And one of, the, one of the things I emailed back to this woman is I said, you know, to be candid with you, I have never gotten a response that someone's been offended when I address high ladies. But, and I intentionally use the word but, 
But that doesn't mean that some people weren't offended by it. They just may not have said something in regards to it. So I think when we, when we use words, part of the thing is we can be very egocentric and react when people don't receive our words in a way of, well, that's, that's ridiculous. That's not what I meant. That wasn't my intention. That wasn't my purpose. But ultimately, words are powerful and they have a lot of impact with people. And I don't, my takeaway from that experience is I don't know that I'll necessarily stop saying hi, ladies, because I don't necessarily see anything wrong with that. And I've actually asked several female colleagues of mine their take. And, you know, the virtually every person I've asked didn't really find it a, at an issue. But when I communicate with her moving forward, I won't say hi, ladies, you know, in a group discussion. And I don't consider that high maintenance and I don't consider that walking on eggshells. I consider it respectful communication. Now, today we're going to talk about the power of word choice relating to a handful of things. One, we're going to talk about it relating, uh, reframing negatives to positives. We're going to talk about it, how how word choice can have an instrumental impact in communicating change. We're going to talk about how your own self-talk influences how you lead others and how word choice is big so you're not avoid so you're actually able to avoid questionable interpretations and faulty assumptions so think about this for a second think about the power of words what can words do right they can motivate they can influence decisions and in people they can disappoint you they can frustrate you you can feel insulted criticized accused They also can fix things and correct things. They also can offer choices when making decisions. So words have such power to affect emotions and moods, right? And then they also create feelings, right? They can make people happy, sad. They can make people hopeful or doubtful or resigned. And so, and and here's, here's the icing on the cake, Ted, right? With all the things you need to be mindful of and aware of in word choice, it all starts with the mode of communication that you communicate those words. So you have to make a decision. Are these words, should these words be texted, emailed, done in a phone call, done in a Zoom, in person? Because words are so easily misinterpreted that if you choose the wrong mode of communication, you're already behind the eight ball because you've created some ambiguity. Now, I want to go to start with something so ridiculously simple, but it's the words please and thank you, right? And when you're wanting someone to do something for you, think about this for a moment. You can ask them to do it or you can tell them to do it. And if you're in a position of authority, if you're a parent or you're a coach, or you're a leader, and you tell them to do it, it reinforces your dominant position in hierarchy over them. Now, as a parent, a lot of parents, because of the age gap and the experience and perceived knowledge gap, parents feel entitled to tell their kids what to do. Okay, but I don't, I don't, I don't think that's ideal, right? I don't think you lose your authority and power when you ask kids to do something as opposed to tell them to do something. Now, when I talk about this with leaders, they'll say to me often, well, what happens if they don't want to do it? If I give them the opportunity and I ask them instead to tell them, 
What happens if they say, well, I don't want to do that? Well, I say, if the opportunity comes up where they would actually decline your request, knowing you're their boss, then I would simply look at the person and say, well, what, what's, what's preventing you from doing that? Like what's getting in the way of you wanting to move forward with that? And I'd have a conversation. And ultimately at the end of the conversation, they will have to do it because I am the boss. But that doesn't change the fact you can't change how the request is given by asking instead of telling. It also doesn't change the power of pleases and thank yous because without pleases and thank yous, things become implied and assumed versus requested. So those are some simple things right out of the bat when you think about how things are communicated, asking versus telling, pleases versus thank you. With that said, I have to start today with your inner voice. And one of the things I talk to when I coach clients, I talk to them about a lot, to, a lot of times is why is it okay for us to do negative self-talk, but not okay to do positive self-talk, right? Because that feels corny. It feels like Dr. Phil and Oprah and like, why are we doing the positive self-talk? And I want to give you two super common and concrete examples. And one of them is want to, need to, have to. Now, Mindset Go is the name of my company. That's not a coincidence because I believe in the power of mindset and the power of belief. So if you're trying to start a new habit or you need to do something at work that you've been procrastinating or putting off and you keep telling yourself, I need to do that, I need to do that, I have to do that. Well, it feels like a heavy burden or a chore or a daunting task. When you say, I want to do it, there's a different mindset associated with wanting to do something versus having to do something. Now, some of you may be skeptical out there and be thinking to yourself, wait a minute, Mark. You're telling me if I have this task that I'm dreading doing, and it's as simple as, no, I don't have to say I have to or need to. I'll just say I want to, and all of a sudden I'm going to feel better about the task. Well, it's not as black and white as that right? But there is the power of your mind and your mindset and how your brain operates. And so if you see something as an opportunity, as opposed to a threat, it does make a big difference in your approach and willingness to do the habit or the task. So that's big, the want to, have to, need to. A second thing when it comes to the power of, of self-talk is the should-haves. And we've talked about this on the show before, shooting on yourself. But in this case, what I want you to think about related to word choice is I want you to think of the message you give yourself when you say, I should have. I should have is a self-criticism that says society has a set of rules. You didn't comply with this imaginary set of rules. And because you didn't comply, you're going to be hard on yourself and criticize yourself. As opposed to the opposite of I should have is learning from the opportunity and from the mistake, which is instead of I should have, what should I have done differently so I could make this happen the next time? And that's the definition of a growth mindset, right? Learn from mistakes, learn from past opportunities. Don't dwell on the I should have's. And again, it's a mindset thing. The should have is negative self-talk. It's a criticism, often an imaginary criticism because you didn't have guidelines to begin with. And we have to go to break. But Ted has a thought before we go to break. No, I just wanted to compliment you on something so straightforward that 
even old people like me and my old you know crew will recognize in your speech something we were taught as kids, mm. which was shoulda, woulda, coulda, if. Shoulda, woulda, coulda, if. Like that. All right, well, we're going to continue on the how you can change your self-talk to be a better leader, a better parent, and a better coach when we come back from the break. I'm Mark Altman for iCommunicate. We'll be right back. Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to iCommunicate. If you'd like to call in the show, the number is 508-871-7000. And, you know, one other quick point about pleases and thank yous. Um, Someone texted me during the break and made a really good point and said, look, if you're, if you're sitting there telling your kids the importance of having manners and gratitude, saying it's really important to say please and thank you, you know what? That bores me because it doesn't motivate anybody. That's what I call parent speak. And so when you keep telling kids, please keep saying please and thank you, right? It just goes in one ear and right the hour. They might eventually do it. Many will eventually do it. But here's the power of please and thank you. If you're trying to tell your kids the value of saying please and thank you and motivating them to do it, this is what you tell them. You tell them that people will be more motivated to do the things you're asking them to do by saying please on the front. And then after they do them for you, by appreciating and recognizing the time they took, they'll be more motivated to continue to do things for you by the thank yous on the back. I actually have used please and thank you to uh, back down and then remove a bully from my life. I've used the technique, and it is delightful because it's so nice, and it drives people with a bad feeling just off the page. They can't deal with it. Yeah, and, 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 and the key here is... That to avoid, and again, back to word choice, to avoid the parent speak, the boss speak, the coach speak, you have to disarm the person. And if they're so used to, right, if they're so used to hearing the same thing over from over, those words get tuned out. And by sharing the motivation and the why to say please and thank you, you're much more likely to get the commitment and the follow through. Now, right before break, we were talking a little bit about your inner voice. And we're talking about, you know, not shooting on yourself and using a growth mindset to learn from mistakes. But I do want to share another very quick story of another way the words that we tell ourselves can be very harmful. And this will lead into how it affects your leadership and communication skills. So I was working with someone yesterday who told me for the first time in seven years after doing some coaching with her, she was able to be assertive with her boss, speak up for what she wanted and needed, and it worked out brilliantly. And so she thanked me, but right after she recognized her accomplishment, this is what she said. She said, you know, I should be happy. There it is. I should be happy. However, it's kind of sad it took me seven years to muster up the courage to do this. And I said, well, that's a really interesting perspective. 
because when you say it took me seven years, it means that you think there's like a statute of limitations or a time frame on when you were supposed to have accomplished learning how to be assertive and advocate for yourself. And I said to her, I said, listen, you have to understand people live their whole lives. They never know where their passions lie. They never figure out how to be happy. People get to be 50, 60, and 70, year old, 70 years old, and they don't understand how to do some what, what, what society perceives as basic things in life. And I said, let me ask you a question. Tell me a skill you have that you don't think most people your age have. And she said, well, I know how to sew. And I said, perfect. So if someone your age came up to you and said, hey, I just learned how to sew, isn't that awesome? Would you say, actually, it kind of sucks. I can't believe you're this old and you just learned how to sew. You wouldn't say that. You, you would think you'd be proud of them and recognize them for their accomplishment. So this is what I mean about self-talk. If even when we accomplish milestones and when we're able to achieve certain levels of progress, if the following self-talk statement is, I can't believe it took me this long, or I should have known this a long time ago, it totally diminishes the progress and from a mindset perspective will interfere with your ability to want to take steps to improve your personal and professional life moving forward. Now here is the ultimate example. Let's talk about the word progress, okay? So when I do leadership training or executive coaching, what I'll say to a lot of leaders is, I'll say, let me give you a scenario and you tell me not only A, if you would interpret this as progress, but B, how you would respond to this person in this scenario. So the scenario is, there's a process that they are supposed to follow each day and they're missing a step in the process. Doesn't matter what the process is, don't read into it. The point is they're missing a detail, okay? You've talked to them about it. They said, okay, I get it. I'll, I'll make sure to do that next time, okay? So now it's two weeks later. They have had 10 opportunities to do it right in the 10 working days since. They have succeeded three of 10 times. All right, so the first question Ted I ask is, so would you see that as progress? Would you see that as something to be proud of? Now, here's where the self-talk comes into play. If you're the kind of person that likes to tell everybody you have high standards and high expectations and you, you're a perfectionist and you use words like that to describe yourself, well, guess what? If you succeed at something three out of every 10 times, you probably are using negative self-talk and saying, uh, it kind of suck. That, that wasn't very good. Three out of 10, I'm not really good. I didn't really get much accomplished. Which means your ability to lead and parent and coach other people would translate to, if they do something three out of every time, 10 times, you're likely to not see that as progress either. However, this is what I'm asking you to look at. When someone is asked to do something, they're not doing it that they're not doing, one of two scenarios is going on. Either they've never done it ever, or they've done it but stopped doing it. Either of those scenarios, you're asking someone to do something different than they've ever done or have done in a while. And when you make that request, understand that perfection, 10 out of 10, is very unlikely in the first go-round in habit change. So to me, 
When that person has accomplished three out of 10, the message leaders and parents and coaches should be giving to that person is great job. You know, previously, you don't have to say this, but in your mind, wow, they were doing zero out of 10 before. They've bumped it up to three out of 10 in only two weeks. And then after I congratulate them for getting three out of 10, I would then say, now we got to figure out what happened in the three times you did it and what happened in the seven times you didn't and what worked and what didn't because we need to get that to 10, right? And so maybe our next milestone is six. And a lot of you out there may think this is coddling people and pacifying people. It isn't. This is a core component of habit change. This is incremental growth. People don't grow by leaps and bounds overnight. They grow incrementally. So the, the thing about self-talk is if you tell yourself you have high standards, high expectations, and you're a perfectionist, your ability to be tolerant and appreciative of other people's successes in incremental improvements is going to be directly affected by your own values. So you need to do some thinking about that. So with that said, no, you don't need to do something, Ted. You want to do some thinking about that. With that said, we're going to break. For Mark Altman and I communicate, we'll see you after the break. Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate, and we're talking about how to use positive self-talk to influence the way you lead and develop and motivate people, right? So we talked before the break about the example of progress and standards and expectations. And now, right, one other, one other uh, piece to that which is the word try. And so it's funny, right? Because we've talked about this on the show before, the word try. I keep coming back to mindset. So every time you're going to do something, you have a choice, right? You can say do, you can say commit, or you can say try. And again, like I said earlier in the show, you might be like, well, so if I stop using the word try, all of a sudden I'm going to feel so much more confident. Well, you will because it's a mindset. If you think you can do something, if you feel like you're going to do something, if you're going to commit to do something. And I want to be very, I have a big light bulb to share with everybody about the difference between the word try and do and commit. This is why people say try. The short answer is they say try so they have a built-in excuse to fail. Okay, that's the short answer. But let me tell you the deeper answer beyond that. The deeper answer is because if they use the word do or commit and they don't achieve what they're setting out to do, it feels like you've let someone down or disappointed them. But if you said try, if they get disappointed, you could just come back and say, well, I just said I was trying. I didn't say I was doing. So here's the point I'm making. Even when people say do and commit, just like the habits, you may not succeed. You may not be able to deliver what you were committing to do. But you know what? The person on the other end of that who you made the commitment or do or said you would do it is not sitting there in judgment going, oh, well, you said you were going to do that. Last time I trust you, last time I believe you. So 
using the word do or commit doesn't set up an attack on your integrity. It doesn't mean you're going to be an accused liar if you don't follow through. It just sets you up for a better, more positive belief in mindset around the task. But we tell ourselves, that's why there's a fear of commitment in this world, because we tell ourselves once we use the word do or commit, then there's an obligation attached to it. There's an accountability attached to it. And you can't have it both ways, everybody. Because if try is a built-in excuse to get out of it, then do and commit is has the same power that try does, which is an intention to follow through and be held accountable. But either way, if you say you're going to try or say you're going to do, if you don't achieve it in either case, it's the same discussion. It's the same follow-up discussion regardless of what word. And the only difference is the power of the mindset with the word do and commit. Now, the last thing related to positive self-talk relating to leading, and this is huge, is around the words positive feedback, recognition, and appreciation. So, Ted, I'll often go into a leadership training and I'll say, how many people, and I, and I purposely say a leading question to make a point, I said, how many people in here need positive feedback, need a pat on the back to justify their performance or to feel good about themselves? And so because I ask it in a leading way, a lot of people are quick to raise their hand and say, oh, not me. I'm self-driven. I'm passionate. I have my own standards and expectations. I don't need that pat on the back. And they're so proud, you know, because they don't think they need it. So here's the, here's the problem, right? First of all, everybody needs a pat on the back. You can tell yourself you don't need it, but many of the same people who tell themselves and others they don't need it, believe me, when they get it, they're happy. They feel good. They're not saying, oh, no, no need for compliments here. Just save those. So here's how it affects the way you lead. If you're the kind of person who doesn't feel like you need recognition, appreciation, positive self-talk, you're probably inclined not to give it because you would perceive it as high maintenance. You would perceive it as, come on, you need me to give you a pat on the back? It's your job. Just do your job. That's what I do. I just come into work and do my job. I don't need anybody to pat me on the back. But it doesn't work that way. Human beings like reinforcement. They like to know where they stand. They like to be recognized and appreciated. We are not living in an era right now of a lot of compliments. Compliments aren't falling off trees right now. And so I made this point the other day to someone I'm working with and I said, here's the deal. You don't feel like you wanna, you don't feel like you need to give uh, positive feedback, recognition, appreciate. You define the terms. Sit down with your team and say, listen, I think positive feedback would be important if you are meeting these goals, if you're meeting these expectations and standards, you pick. I'm not telling people to give compliments that they don't think are deserved or authentic. I'm telling you to communicate what your rules are related to feedback and compliments. You know, so I'm not saying that if someone shows up on time for work, you go up to a great job showing up on time for work. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying think about what you think deserves a compliment. And see, what happens a lot in the workplace right now is people are 
struggling to even do the basics of their job and meet expectations. Not an excuse. I'm not enabling anybody, but I'm just saying that people are struggling to do that. So when you look at someone's job description, you might say, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna recognize them for that. That's on their job description. They're supposed to do that. But maybe in light of what's going on in the pandemic, in light of how people are feeling overwhelmed and burnout and getting used to remote relationships, maybe there's a time now to compliment them on some of the things they're doing in light of all the things everybody is dealing with, right? So it's not a normal time. But again, if your rules and your core values say, I don't need that positive feedback, it's coddling, it's high maintenance, it's whatever, then that doesn't mean that's the way you, you're not supposed to lead how you want to be led. You're supposed to lead how to motivate and influence others. That's ultimately what it comes down to. And I got news for everybody. What this comes down to is this. If you are a person who doesn't feel like recognition, appreciation, compliments are that valuable, then most likely, not automatically, but most likely that's because you grew up with parents who didn't give you a lot of compliments and feedback or you've had past bosses that didn't value a lot of compliments and feedback because that didn't come out of nowhere. You didn't come out of the womb and say, I don't need compliments and feedback. You know, those habits developed over time based on the culture of your childhood, based on the culture of past jobs, based on the culture of your significant others and family and people in your life. It could be any of those things. So the challenge is, if you're a leader, look in the mirror and say, what are my standards and expectations of performance and progress? And am I letting that distract me from how other people want to be led? What are my rules around giving feedback and recognizing and appreciating? And is, are my own rules distracting me from how people want to be given feedback, recognized, and appreciated? So when we come back with our, in our final segment, we're going to talk, we're going to wrap up today and talk about how word choice, an exaggerated word choice, creates a whole heck of a lot of problems. So I'm Mark Altman for I Communicate. We'll be back for our final segment. Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to iCommunicate. We're talking about the power of words and the power of self-talk and how it can affect your ability to lead and communicate and motivate and develop relationships with others. And we have a caller on the line, one of the more young, up-and-coming future leaders of society. Uh, welcome to the show, caller. Well, I'm glad to be here. It's been a long time since I've been on. All right. Well, what can I do for you today? So I just wanted to give a personal experience on how important, earlier last segment we were talking about how important positive feedback in the workplace or outside of the workplace can be. And um, as a person who's played competitive basketball, competitive baseball, competitive hockey, competitive football, I just wanted to say that when... I make a good play and I feel like I'm deserving of a compliment and you don't get that compliment. I know how uh, upsetting and frustrating that can be like to, see, to think you're being like overlooked. Um, but I think it's important because once you do get that compliment, I think that it really defines your self value and it really uh, 
boosts your self-esteem. Well, Cole, I think it's a great point. You're actually touching upon something that's a really valuable thing, right? When people are building up their confidence, people are at different stages of development of habits and core competencies and skills and so on and so forth. So what you're talking about is, you know, as you're learning basketball and you're improving in certain areas of basketball and you succeed in one of those habit areas you've been working on, it's nice to get that feedback. It's nice to get the validation to know that someone else recognizes the improvement. And this is the truth. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Okay. Um, Agreed. And I would say I'm trying to build a lot of personal habits currently in my life. And I would say that while I'm building the habits, I feel like the people that my role models have been actually pretty good at, uh, like, giving me compliments around my improvement around those habits. And I don't know, like, how big my self-esteem and my motivation would be to keep those habits if I didn't have that positive feedback behind me. Well, Cole, and I think an important takeaway in what you're talking about is that right now, because you're at the early stages of developing some of these habits, your confidence is a bit fragile. And and that that's not unique to you. That's normal. And I think a lot of people in the workplace, you know, I'll give you a perfect example. If you're someone who has never been, like I said earlier in the show, if you're someone that's never been comfortable being assertive and advocating for yourself, then getting feedback when you finally muster up the courage and confidence to do that is enormous in that moment. So for that client I had that I was talking about, if that, if her boss in that moment recognized that and said, hey, I got to tell you, really, I really appreciate the fact that you felt comfortable speaking up to me and sharing this information and gave her that validation it's a huge confidence booster in that moment. And again, there's a big difference between someone being high maintenance and needing the compliment as opposed to using the compliment as a tool to build people's confidence and skill set. And Cole, I think what you'll learn as you get older is that it is important to get feedback from people. It is important to get that validation, but you don't want to have your confidence and esteem, self-esteem solely attached to needing that feedback. You want to build your own templates to understand, to know personally, hey, I'm doing a good job or hey, I'm not. Does that make sense? I totally agree. And before I head off and let you finish off this great radio show you started, um, I would like to say um, uh, I think personal feedback is different for everyone. I think it can be related to the five love languages. I think it can be, um, I think, It can be acts of kindness. It can be words of affirmation. So I think there's plenty of forms of positive feedback that can be given. So I think it's different for everyone. And uh, building that habit of finding what's your favorite and what you need is a big part of growth. Yeah, that's also another great point, Cole, because people are motivated. And, and, you know, what you just said there is is really the central theme of what we're trying to uh, convey today, right? It's that people are motivated and influenced differently. People act and behave differently. They feed off emotions. They feed off reactions. That's the whole thing around emotional intelligence. And so understanding that people are motivated to influence differently. So if you don't need positive feedback, others may. If you don't feel like three out of 10 is progress, it is progress. It's incremental growth. It's valuable. If you don't want to give words, as like Cole said, if you don't want to give words as feedback, then there's other ways to appreciate and recognize people beyond just words. So that's a really good point. Nicole, please continue to call on the show. That was uh, a really awesome call, really good point you made. All right, thank you for having me on and uh, finish off strong. Okay, we will do. So, you know, 
going back to this theme of how people are motivated and influenced. So the positive self-talk plays a huge role in your own values and your own feelings with others. Now, I'm going to finish off the show today with a couple of final big concepts, right? So I promised before the break we were going to talk about how exaggerated comments impact communication and self-talk. So there's this thing in emotional intelligence called triggers, right? And triggers, um, a lot of times people struggle with that word choice because it seems too too psychology-ish. So let's use a word that everybody can recognize, word choice, is pushing people's buttons. So everybody knows what pushing people's buttons are. So part of the power of words is recognizing the actions and words that push people's buttons. Now, when your buttons are pushed, and I'll give you an example, when your buttons are pushed, such as when someone cuts you off on a, on a highway, okay, we know your word choice in those moments probably isn't all that great. But the problem is that when people trigger us, frustrate us, push our buttons, we tend to group them in this huge category and we'll say, oh, everybody does that. Or nobody ever does this. Or why do you always do this? Or why do you never do that? And when you make these exaggerated proclamations using everybody, nobody, always, never, what happens in those cases is it allows us to be in denial. It allows us, when we're disappointed and annoyed, it allows us to not reflect on our role in the frustration and disappointment. So if multiple people in your workplace right now are not responding to your emails in a timely manner, then it's very easy to say, Oh, God, I'm so sick of people not responding to my emails. Why does everybody do that? Now, if you were being mindful and self-aware in the moment, here's what you might say differently. Geez, I wonder why people aren't responding to my emails. Maybe I'm not doing a good job capturing their attention. Maybe email wasn't the best way to reach out to them in the first way, and they made a unilateral decision that my need isn't a priority. And maybe if I called them or went to their office or did something else, maybe I would have done their attention. Maybe my emails are boring and they're not really all that interesting. Maybe I don't use subject lines that people notice. This is what I'm talking about. So when you get disappointed, and we'll call it cumulative disappointment, because multiple people are doing a behavior that you are reflecting as an internalization and you're internalizing it as it's about you, instead of saying, why does everybody do that or why does people always do this? Take a look in the mirror and see what your part in it is. And in some cases, you may not have a part in it. Like if someone cuts you off on the road, well, you didn't have a part in that. That's just someone in a rush and they're acting out on their rush and you were the beneficiary of that. But in most cases, you'll find when you make exaggerated proclamations that you had a role and by you getting angry and frustrated and pinning it on someone else, You're not curious to what you could be doing differently to rectify this problem. And that's a huge, and that's a huge point. And look, communication is a two-way street. Emotionally intelligent communication requires two people to tango and interact. And when you're having those conversations and people use certain words 
that trigger you, are they using the words because they're out to get you? Is the intention of using those words that they're malicious people at the core of who they are? Or has their communication become sloppy? Remember what I said at the beginning of the show today, the difference between being on autopilot and being aware of how your words are impacting others. I mean, look, people are in conversations all day, every day. They use phrases, they use sentences, they use words that clearly had a polarizing or negative effect on the conversation. How do they know that? Because of the other person's body language and reaction. But they don't see it because they're in such autopilot. Well, I got to tell you everything I need to tell you right now. I have an agenda. We got only a 15 minutes to have this conversation. So let me just get out. They're not even looking. It's like it's not even a conversation. It's just about the other person or about you. So this is the thing about word choice. Understanding people's intent when they make mistakes, use words that put you on the defensive, feel critical, feel like an insult, feel like an accusation. Okay. Understand where it's coming from. So your reaction to the word choice has to be curiosity. If someone calls you up, if a friend calls you up and says, how come you never call me? How come I'm always the one that calls you? Always never, right? I always call, you never call. Well, nothing's 100%. So right away, we know that's not true. But how about instead of getting defensive about how come you never call? Well, ask them where that's coming from. Well, I have called you. But is it that you're wanting me to call you more? Like, what's going on? Like, where is this coming from? And understand the root of where their frustration is coming from instead of defaulting to be defensive. So look, final thoughts in our closing minute of the show today is word choice is a one of the core communication ingredients. But after you listen to the show today, I, I hope you're getting off the... Stop listening. You're like, wow, there's a lot to remember there. That's a brilliant show you did today. Well, thanks, Ted. Chock full. And so here's the takeaway. Pick a couple of things, not a hundred, not 10. Pick a couple of things you do related to word choice that you want to stop doing and be mindful of those two as a starting point for incremental growth. Rome wasn't built in a day. You're not going to fix this overnight. But if you all of a sudden become mindful of the words you use and the impact they have in motivating and influencing others, you're doing your job and it's a starting point. So thank you for listening. Ted, thanks for another wonderful job. And uh, for Mark Altman and I communicate, if you want to call Mindset Go, the number is 978-793-1159. And you can also email us at info at mindsetgo.com. Thanks again. We'll see you next time. listening to I Communicate with your host, Mark Altman. Join us again each week at this time on Full Service Radio, WCRN.